It takes a philosopher to be, well, philosophical about the ups and downs of horse racing. Owner Paul Redham's experience both with top three-year-olds in the not-too-distant past. What will IRAP bring him in this year's Midsummer Derby, the Travers? Paul Redham joins us next here on In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a hit-bobbing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. The ancient Greek philosopher Socrates is quoted as saying, Falling down isn't a failure. Failure comes when you stay where you have fallen. Obviously, Socrates never owned a racehorse that won the Kentucky Derby and was attempting to win the Triple Crown. But another more modern-day philosopher has. His name is Paul Redham. Yes, he has three degrees in philosophy, and he knows a thing or two about campaigning a top three-year-old racehorse. And here's Nyquist. Champion Nyquist comes off the turn and takes the lead away from Gunrunner. It's Nyquist clear by three. Gunrunner's running in second. Exaggerator continues to close. Time is running out. Nyquist is 100 yards from home. Exaggerator with one final try in the derby. Nyquist holds on. He's undefeated, and he's won the 142nd Kentucky Derby. Of course, Paul Redham has twice won the Kentucky Derby. Nyquist last year, and I'll have another in 2012. Both got hurt shortly thereafter, and their careers were over just like that. But Paul Redham hasn't stayed where he has fallen, as Socrates would say. He has perhaps the most consistent three-year-old dirt runner this year. It's the big favorite, IRAP. IRAP's homeward bound has a lead by six lengths over Colonel Dark Temper. A 16th to go, it's IRAP. IRAP will add the Indiana Derby to his impressive resume, winning by five. He's won three of his last four, though the one that's missing in that stretch was that Kentucky Derby thing where IRAP finished 18th. No other sophomore has three graded stakes wins this year. But in the Traverse Stakes on August 26th, IRAP likely will be taking on at least two or possibly three Triple Crown race winners, as well as several other formidable challengers. Paul Redham was one of the very first guests we ever had here on In The Gate, and we welcome him back for a return visit. Now, given your past experience with high-profile three-year-olds, how do you balance being excited versus being philosophical when you approach a race like the Travers? Well, <laughs> I would say, having been in the situations of big races before, what I've learned to do is try to contain expectations and just have things unfold. And I think about my first Kentucky Derby experience where I owned a piece of 10 Most Wanted and went over to the barn about an hour and a half before post time and the trainer of the horse, Wally DeLossi, looked at me very seriously and he said, an hour and a half from now, we're going to have won the Kentucky Derby. And I just thought to myself, oh, wow, this is just incredible. And then the race went off, and the horse got sandwiched by two horses out of the gate, and he just kind of ran around. And I 
think he finished about ninth or so, and I was absolutely devastated, uh, drenching with sweat and just saying, that wasn't fair, like, can't we do it over? And from that time, I learned that when the gate springs, anything can happen, so you really got to manage uh, expectations. And so with IRAP in the Travers, we're optimistic that he's going to run a big race, but we understand that there's, you know, a hundred different ways to get beat and we're going to face the full field and uh, you need a lot of racing luck to win a race like that. So if, if we lose, that's just the way it goes. As my legendary colleague Chris Berman used to say, that's why they play the games. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Last year before Nyquist's Derby win, our friends at NBC produced a story showing trainer Doug O'Neill and jockey Mario Gutierrez in a meeting with you at your California office. Now, there were a couple of things about that story that were interesting. Was that just a one-time office meeting that NBC either staged or was lucky enough to time correctly, or is that how you always do it? We've been doing those meetings since the spring of 2015, and we meet once a week. Doug has a string of horses at Los Alamitos, which is a racetrack that's not terribly far from my office. So he goes there, trains his horses. Right now it's Tuesdays, and then he comes by my office with Mario and Mario's agent, uh, Tom Knuth. And we sit there and talk about each horse in turn that Doug trains. And we, uh, it wasn't a one-time thing for NBC. As a matter of fact, we had a meeting on Tuesday and discussed all the horses, including IRAP. Now, the other part of that is that jockeys and trainers are independent contractors. They typically work for more than one owner at a time. Yet, for your meeting, they obviously have to travel to your office, which shows an added level of commitment. How did that type of commitment come about? Well, over the past number of years, particularly 10, 15 years ago, I had a little string in England, and it's very, very common in Europe for stables to have a contract rider. And engaging basically one rider, I mean, we do sometimes have other riders when we're racing in more than one place at one time. Uh, and similarly, Mario Gutierrez does ride for other stables, but he rides 99% of the Redham Racing horses, and that's a large percentage of his mounts. And I've just found that because of the musical chairs that trainers and jockeys play, they are always spinning a story for each other and for owners. So the trainer tries to get the jockey and the jockey's agents beforehand when he's booking them out, feeling extremely optimistic about their chances, and that's why uh, they should ride that trainer's horse. And then the jockey, when he gets off the horse, tells the trainer all kinds of great things about the horse because they want to get the, the mount back. And I just think over the long run, as an owner, we'd be a lot more productive if we skipped all that nonsense and really had everybody talking absolutely straight about how the horse is doing, whether he's capable at that level, is there something bothering him, uh, and so on. So I have really tried to encourage uh, straight talk between the uh, the jockey and the trainer, and also I, I get little bits from the jockey and throw my two cents in with the trainer, and we just try to all speak very uh, candidly about how the horses are doing. 
Yeah, what type of input do you give? It's not hard to figure out what Doug and Mario's input would be. Well, I'll say things like, gee, that horse looks like he needs blinkers, or have you thought about taking the blinkers off, or why don't we run in this spot versus that spot? He looks like he needs more ground, less ground, oh, we should try turf, and so on. So generally speaking, it's a bad thing for owners to give too much input and <laughs> trainers private. Trainers privately, if you ask them, do you want to have the owner throw the two cents in, they would they would say no. Uh, <laughs> Doug certainly pretends to like my input, so <laughs> at the very least. And sometimes we'll talk about the ride in a particular race, and gee. That horse looks like he wants to be covered up or he should be wide or he should charge out of the gate with this one or you should get him to relax or what have you. So we try to gently criticize or critique is maybe a better way of putting it, uh, both the training and the riding, not to get anyone steamed up, but rather to, to try to progress. Owner Paul Redham joining us here on In the Gate. He'll send out IRAP in the Traverse Stakes at Saratoga on Saturday. Now, IRAP really hasn't had much of a break since his debut last October, and it's easy to say now that while he hadn't actually won until taking the Grade 2 Bluegrass, that he had been competitive against good company all spring. But, come on, if I gave you truth serum, what would you say about entering the then winless IRAP in the Bluegrass? Well, I would say pretty much... Anyone else would say we were nuts, and we accept that criticism, and <laughs> oftentimes we are. <laughs> Some, sometimes in the placement of our horses, we kind of liken ourselves to home run hitters, and what that means is that like a home run hitter is going to strike out a lot more often than someone who hits to get on base. So we make a lot of big mistakes, but every once in a while, we're successful with what seems like uh, from the outside an unreasonable risk. So in the case of IRAP, uh, he ran a couple of times in uh, New Mexico, and it's kind of disappointing performances, but he did have a foot that was bothering him, and it seemed like he was getting better, and you know the question was, well, geez, in New Mexico, do we bring him back to California? And I said, well, what the heck? Why don't we just run in the bluegrass because... That field is shaping up to be really, really small. At the time, they were going to get Classic Empire, who didn't uh, end up running, but also McCracken. There was a lot of buzz about him, Practical Joke, Taprit. So the field looked like it might be a five- or six-horse field. So uh, We can always end up running in another maiden race in California. We know that they'll write a maiden this month and they'll write one next month. But these million-dollar races only come around uh, in the very short window in the three-year-old year. So small field, well, let's be stupid, what the heck. And uh turned out that everyone thought it was a big fluke the day that it happened, meaning that all the other horses must have run well under their potential because how could they get beat by a maiden? But uh, I think now looking back in hindsight, it was clear that IRAP is a better horse than... People had been giving him credit, and maybe even us. And and the horse is—he's a tis now. He's kind of late mentally maturing, and he seems like he has his act together at this point. Gervin is there. Here's Irap on the three wide side with Untrapped, one furlong to go, and Irap is trying to challenge Gervin now. Here's Irap on the outside. Gervin on the inside, a sixteenth to go. Gervin is game. Irap resolute. 
Gervin, Irap, Gervin, Irap together. Enter the winner's circle, it's Irap. Three graded stakes wins in his last four starts, but the Travers isn't exactly going to be that small field. You're going to be talking about a heavyweight race here. Now, how do you feel about stepped-up competition, but a horse that himself has also stepped up recently? Well, look, the cliche is I wouldn't trade places with anyone, although I kind of probably feel that. I'm not going to use the cliche, but I, I think that, look, it wouldn't be surprising if he won, but as I was saying earlier, lots of things can happen. It wouldn't be surprising if he ran, you know, eighth. Uh, but certainly we've seen in this year's three-year-old crop at the top, it's been a game of musical chairs where a horse gives a commanding performance and then uh, next time lays an egg. And if we looked at the field, I would say it's a very evenly matched field and there's probably eight or nine horses in there that wouldn't be a surprise in winning. And I, I would think, you know, IRAP will be about five to one or so and, you know, hopefully he gets a good trip and he won the Indiana Derby very comfortably, but that was a level of competition, certainly overall weaker than what we're going to face. So we don't know if that'll translate or not. The Ohio Derby win is looking better because Gervin came back to win the Haskell. Right. Uh, and I actually found myself betting on Gervin in the Haskell. So no, I, you didn't. I felt, yes, I did. I was So I felt doubly vindicated there. And it was the Haskell was certainly a... Uh, a really exciting race, you know, just touching off the crack and on the wire. And, and uh, you know, if you look at who has IRAP beaten, well, he beat Gervin, as we were just saying. Not by much, but he did. And then uh, Mc, he's already beaten McCracken and, and Taprit. And on the other hand, always dreaming, won the Derby, and IRAP was way back. So uh, it, it's going to be the most exciting race of the year, I think. You once said that academia, your first life, was about one-upsmanship, which is a fascinating statement. Your second life, money lending, was about making a profit. It seems that both of those elements exist in horse racing, so where do you put the sport on that continuum? Well, I've kind of learned that horse racing is not a... If you play horse racing as a game of one-upmanship, uh, you're definitely going to be the loser because it's been said it's a very humbling game, and it certainly certainly is because great success is considered to be winning at a 20% rate, and that means four out of five times you're losing. So if, you're, if you want to engage in one-upmanship, you're going to have a lot of disappointments. And uh, as a horse, running a horse-owning business, it's certainly possible to make money. We've been lucky a few years, but overall, it's a tough business to make a profit because it is ultra, ultra competitive. And you got to be lucky in the end, as well as doing some things that are outside of the box. So all that being said, to me, it's really a game of survival and being able to handle the, the rough times in it when things go badly. And then every once in a while, something great happens. And when it does, the feeling is just spectacular. So, you know, we just take it as it comes, I guess, in the end. Of course, we all know you've been disappointed after flying cross-country to see your stars perform on the East Coast. Will you be in Saratoga for the Travers? Yes, uh, we are planning to be in Saratoga for the Travers. 
And if everything goes right, we're going to run a filly and a two-year-old New York bred stake the day before. So we're going to come in for a couple of days and then have a couple of other horses on the, the Travers card. But the Travers is obviously the big highlight. It's going to be a really exciting race. I already have been checking the weather way in advance, and it looks like it's going to be nice there. So uh, we're looking to have a great time and, and hope to get lucky. Paul Redham will send out IRAP in the Traverse Stakes. He has other stakes performers that weekend, too, including Frank Conversation and the Sword Dancer. Mr. Redham, thank you so much for a few minutes. The best of luck over the weekend and going forward. Hey, thank you, Barry. Enjoyed talking with you. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, a deeper dive into the Traverse Stakes with Bobby Halt of the New York Hot List Handicapping Service. So don't go away. Welcome back to Win the Gate. The Traverse Stakes comes up this Saturday at Saratoga. It really will be kind of the heavyweight championship of this three-year-old division because nobody's really taken it by storm. We had three different Triple Crown race winners, and only one horse, the one we mentioned earlier, IRAP, has three graded stakes wins this year. He has two in a row coming in. So let's get a little deeper dive into the Traverse Stakes with our good friend Bobby Halt, who operates the New York Hot List Handicapping Service. I mean, Bob, how much faith do you have in a horse like IRAP or maybe Gervin? Remember, IRAP beat Gervin. Gervin came back to win the Haskell. Are you a Gervin fan, or are you looking elsewhere here? <laughs> well, i tell you, if you want to talk about the only three-year-old, I think has really been very consistent and productive. you got to go to, to the, about the turf horse. Oscar performance. I mean, he's really the only one who who has been very consistent. Uh, These other horses, uh, they just seem to want to keep beating each other. Because again, you have, as you mentioned, the three different triple crown winners. You then in the Haskell, you have Gervin step up, who wasn't a factor in the triple crown, and he won that race. Uh, You had the Jim Dandy, which had the Derby and the Preakness winners in it, and they finished third and fourth. And uh, you had uh, Good Samaritan, who was a turf horse, who beats those two horses. So I'm not sure. I, I mean, I've got to admit, if I have to like somebody at all, at all in the, this field, I'm probably going to try to go back into Deja Vu and think that maybe Bob Baffert's going to come in with West Coast and uh, he's going to come in and beat, beat them all again. What do you think about IRAP? We spent some time on this show earlier talking about IRAP, the only horse with three graded stakes wins, and he has two in a row. What do you make of him? He certainly is a factor. I, I, I kind of thought he was a notch below the top horses during the Triple Crown season, but you have to give him credit. I got to admit, I've watched the race several times. I still don't know how he won the Ohio Derby. It certainly looked like Irvin got his nose down. But uh, you know what? IRAP won the race. Yeah, I, I I just don't get a feeling he's one of those horses who's going to be good in grade twos, grade threes. He's not a grade one winner. But, again, the way this year goes, maybe it's his turn. But I, I don't know. I just want to see a little bit more out of him. As I say, I'm probably not in his camp yet. Let's expand a little bit beyond just the three-year-old division because once these horses get to the fall, they're going to have to go against their elders and it doesn't seem like anybody's really taking this division by the throat either. Arrogate's having to be written again today. He's doing better than last time, but he's still not comfortable. Arrogate is now battling in third. At the top of the lane, collected. Accelerate went a little wide into the turn. Arrogate now is plugging away on the outside. 
An eighth of a mile to go and Collected keeps on going. Arrogate is getting going late now. Collected is in front. Arrogate closing on the outside. It's above that at one two, but Collected gonna win it. Collected and Martin Garcia won the Pacific Classic. Arrogate got going late but had to settle for second. Arrogate laid an egg on July 22nd in the San Diego handicap, came back to run a decent second, I guess, in the Pacific Classic, and it's hard to really knock a horse that finishes second in a million-dollar race, but it just doesn't seem like the same Arrogate is racing these days. No, he didn't. Uh, You know, he certainly, he turned in, I thought, a game performance to to make it close because I think if you uh, wanted to take a bet on where he was going to finish at the the 316th pole, you probably thought he was going to be a well-beaten second or third. He was coming on, collected, was, you know, was the better horse. But certainly he's not the arrogate that we know from the Pegasus, from the Dubai World Cup, from the Breeders' Cup Classic, from the Travers. He doesn't seem to be that same horse. I mean, I think a lot of people were expecting him to win this race rather decisively. And the fact that not only got beat, uh, but that he just didn't seem to have that spark, even on the turn. It looked like the, the, he, they wanted to get something out of him on the turn, and, and it just really wasn't there. It wasn't there till the very end. It certainly throws a lot of things up in the air because Collected, who won, is definitely going to be a factor as, as the big horse uh, in the big races toward the end of the year, and Gunrunner has looked super. So uh, I would think they're the ones to look at. The three-year-olds, well, you know, we could go back to last year, and again, the three-year-olds looked pretty bad until Arrogate came out of nowhere and and just became this super horse. I don't think that's going to happen this year because, I mean, Arrogate, again, was a secret to everybody. He was running in allowance races. These horses, we've seen them. They run against each other. They really haven't shown themselves to be much. I, I don't really think they would be a factor. They're going to be big factors in the in the uh, classic, unless maybe West Coast does turn out to be the next Baffert Arrogate. I don't know. Gunrunner takes the lead. Gunrunner has taken over with a half mile to run, and he takes off as the field rounds the far turn. He's opened up a two-length lead. On the outside, breaking lucky is second. Keen Ice has made his way up into third, but he's still far behind. And now Florent Giroux lets Gunrunner go, and he's opened up a four-length lead. Breaking lucky is second. Keen Ice on the outside is third as they come to the line. Gunrunner wins the Whitby. He won it by six over Keen Ice. You and I were both there at Saratoga when Gunrunner won the Whitney, and he's been very consistent, never really threw in a clunker. Even if you go back to the 2016 Triple Crown campaign, where he finished third in the Derby and won two races before that, I guess he would be your de facto leader and will probably race one more time before the Breeders' Cup Classic the week after the Travers and the Woodward at Saratoga. I don't think we're going to see Shaman Ghost back for the fall. He might have had a chance to challenge Gunrunner but he will have throat surgery and probably won't make it back for the fall. So I don't know who else you really have to dominate here in the classic division. Yeah, I would kind of think, uh, especially given his, given his ownership, that uh, Frank Stronic, who owns him, also has this race called the Pegasus that he wants to fill with a horse in the last week of January. So I don't think they're really going to rush with that horse to try to make the Breeders' Cup if they can't, depending on how that surgery goes. So, yeah, that takes a major player out of the mix. But I'd say right now, when you're looking at the older horses, probably Gunrunner's now number one, probably Collected or Arrogate 2-3 right in there. They were pretty close. But, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting race in the Breeders' Cup Classic. 
when they all meet. But uh, certainly Gunrunner's done nothing to make you think that he's certainly not a, a major contender this year. And Arrogate has you wondering what happened. This really makes me wonder, Bob, whether the Europeans might be emboldened to try some of their American-destined runners for the fall on the dirt in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I know Aiden O'Brien's never really been shy about trying that. He did so with the great Galileo and George Washington. I wonder if this is a year where the Europeans say, I know the Classic is on dirt, not synthetic, but it's open and ripe for the pickings. Well, it could be. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, at the st- if you said this, uh, in uh, the start of July, you say, why are you bothering? You're not going to beat Arrogate. Uh, well, you know, maybe now you might beat Arrogate. I still think, I, I would think they're going to try it. I mean, those, those, those kind of, the, the, the cool moors of the world, they have so many horses. They'll have, they might have somebody in there that they're going to try. But I, as I say, I do think Gunrunner is a legit horse. Collected has showed himself to be a legit horse after that. He had that big win in the Precisionist, and then he comes back and wins the Pacific Classic. He's a legit runner. And, you know, I don't know. I don't, we're going to have to see what happens with Arrogate after this race to, to find out if, you know, maybe there's a slight problem that they still have to fix and they'll get him back at the top of his game. But we don't know. But I, I, I think the older division is pretty solid this year with a few horses who are pretty good. And uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's certainly the older horses are kind of the same mess as we have with the three-year-olds where – I wouldn't be surprised. I could probably, if anybody wins the Travers, I'm not going to say I'm shocked because it, it seems like every time you turn around, some new face is going to come around and do something. Lots of plot twists coming up as we get towards the Breeders' Cup World Championship on the first weekend of November at Del Mar. Bobby Halt of the New York Hot List Handicapping Service, thanks again so much as always. Thanks, Barry. Always a pleasure. Our thanks to Bobby Halt and to Paul Redham. At the Jockey Club Roundtable, there was a very important announcement about an innovative way to raise money for thoroughbred aftercare, finding new homes for retired horses, and the future for this venture appears to be sunny. It's a drop-down menu on a computer screen that, when you win a bet, allows you to donate to aftercare. You'll instantly receive a receipt with the charity's tax ID, so next April the government will be aware. The most interesting part of this idea was it was first brought up by PETA, the animal rights group horse racing folks endure. It isn't often the sport works hand-in-hand on an idea with PETA, but the intentions from both sides appear to be pure. A tip of the cap to the Stronach Group for realizing this innovation, as simple as it seems to execute, it'll take these kinds of goodwill gestures on an ongoing basis in an effort regarding bad press to refute. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that pink podcatcher app you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.